0: And SEO really gave me that opportunity to achieve freedom. And so many people that I've met and all over the world have have achieved freedom with SEO.
1: In a very risky business, but yeah, where the risk is also the rewards bigger. SEO is very deep. You can only play to an extent of what you know and how you perceive things.
0: I think for everything in life, I just, I'm like, I'll assume it's BS until it's backed up with facts. My YouTube channel gets more views in SEO than anyone else. When did you
1: notice that change for you? Like when you were just like adapting every Google update and you're like, okay. I became that guy like was it like always like in different sectors before seo or you just kind of learned it learned this skill in the last few years
0: that's a great question
1: hey julian welcome to the seo wisdom podcast
0: hello there good to be on thanks for having me
1: the man the myth the legend this is where i see it like all the taglines of your website and stuff
0: it's, it's quite memorable, I think. A lot of people comment. If someone mentions me like Julian Goldie or something like that, one of my videos on Twitter, quite often someone will reply and say the man, the myth, the legend. I'm like, that's great marketing right there.
1: Yeah, and you're owning up, you know, so it suits your personality.
0: Yeah, that's it. It's, it's kind of a little bit arrogant to call yourself the man, the myth, the legend, but it was just something that I joked about and then it escalated fast.
1: I mean, SEO is also about like pissing people off and they're like, oh, this Julian guy's so arrogant. And when they meet you in person and they're like, oh, it's, he's actually really nice and humble, <laughs> you know?
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. Like, I think the thing is, SEO is so crowded, right? Like, you know, you're doing YouTube, I'm doing YouTube. I do a lot of videos with Kazra. It's about... 20 or 30 different SEOs I know using YouTube. And it's like, if you want to stand out, you got to polarize a little bit and, and trigger people in a click way. And then in the actual video, you can be humble, but in the headline, don't be humble. Yeah. You got to click. Yeah. yeah.
1: And I realized like putting your face out there, like, yeah, you're going to trigger people, like there's no way you are just going to be like talking about backlinks or AI content, you know, and people are going to be like, oh, it's all good this white hat seo is just you know an angel sent from google or something like it's not going to be like that they're going to be like ah that julian's so you know feisty with his techniques and tricks and they're gonna they're gonna be pissed and like you said in the last interview we did it's about getting an emotional reaction and it's nothing to do with you it's to do with them so
0: yeah that's it. hundred percent like if you especially on twitter i think twitter is probably the most brutal place when it comes to feedback and negativity. And there's a lot of good people on there, of course, as well, but you will see that if you post something like how I did 1000 articles in 10 seconds with one click, you're going to get a lot of people and a lot of hate and a lot of negative comments, but you just have to accept it. For me, I've learned to love it, which we talked about in our video before. right?
1: And I think like most of the Twitter is just like people supporting each other, like all the entrepreneurs, SEOpreneurs, like they support each other, they love the community. Like but there are some people, like I shared a screenshot of HRFs, you know, like having that rank bona and people like show me the search console and I'm like How does it make a difference anyway? It's like if I show the search console or HRFs and now I'm like, I'm not gonna show anything. You don't deserve it.
0: <laughs> you haven't earned it. Yeah, I think as well, like even if you show the search console it'll be something else, it's not so much what you did. It's just any little angle, you might get attacked, and it's like the other thing I think was, for example, we reach two million people a month on Twitter, and so that's crazy. even if it's crazy, but even if zero point zero one percent of people who see my tweets hate them, that's still a lot of comments. So I've got to accept it, and you know the haircut, like like we were talking about before, you just <laughs> you you've got to accept some hate sometimes.
1: Yeah, Julian's gonna come out with his new Pee Hee blinder look. And I think it's gonna 10X his subscribers. And if he doesn't,
0: yeah, then I'm dyeing my hair green. Luminous <laughs> blue, glow in the dark.
1: Yeah. So Julian, like, um yeah, I'm gonna be honest. Like I-, I didn't hear your names until the last one or two years and you just got really, really viral, like yeah. I was, I was like, who's this Julian Goldie? he's everywhere, like, and he's doing client calls and he's being so open. And I was always kind of intrigued, you know, until we met in Chiang Mai, like, I I was always wondering, like, what, what has been your story, like in SEO, how you go into SEO and how you just come about, like, in the last few years, you know?
0: Yeah, actually, I don't know who knew all the SEOs in Chiang Mai and Thailand, and obviously there's a massive community there, right? And he mentioned my name to them about two or three years ago, and no one had heard of me. No one knew who I was or anything like that. And he came back and he was like, Julian, you are the SEO that SEOs don't know. And even at that point, my agency was at a decent level, a sizable level, but most people had never heard of me. And that's when I really, it hit me a little bit, you know, I was like been doing SEO for five years and no one knows me. But at the same time, it's like, okay, massive opportunity for growth there. Because if we're already at a certain level without doing any proper marketing, what can we achieve if we do it? And just going back even before that, I know you asked about my story. So for me, I got into SEO, I would say about five or six years ago, maybe longer now. And the way that I got into it was I was selling blogs on fiverr.com and I was literally just trying to make money any way I could because I wanted the freedom from my nine to five job. And and I was stuck in England at the time. So I was like, right, I'm just going to work like crazy on Fiverr. I don't care how little money I earn. And I was earning about maybe $2 an hour on average because I was working 60 hours a week, making about $400 a month. And it wasn't great money, but it was like, I just want the freedom. I just want to get out of my nine to five job. I hate it. I've probably been fired from every single job I've ever had. <laughs> it's just a matter of time before I get fired from this one. And so I need to make a change. And and fiber and SEO really gave me the opportunity to achieve freedom. And so many people that I've met in Thailand have, and all over the world have, have achieved freedom with SEO because it gives you that freedom to, to live anywhere, to run your business from anywhere. You know, you can have a team and they could be anywhere in the world. And that's a beautiful thing about SEO that most people don't talk about. It's like you can have so much freedom you can achieve so much more in life and you can open your mind to all these levels of freedom that you never had before in a nine-to-five job.
1: And what what was your nine-to-five job like? What was the background?
0: Yeah, so funny fact, my first ever job when I was 16 years old, no, 15 years old, I was cleaning toilets in a pub. No way. (laughs) And I got fired from that as well. But, (laughs) But basically my... My last nine to five job was actually marketing manager. So, as a marketing manager, big recruitment company called the Corden Group in England, and I can tell you now, one of the things that I found in recruitment particularly, is pretty ruthless, and people are getting fired all over the place. You know, there was even a template email at one of the companies I used to work with, where every Friday it would be insert name here has moved on to greener pastures new or something like that you know basically they've been fired that that week and they were moving on and so that was my last job i was working in the recruitment agency and actually when i handed in my resignation so that i could work online and start traveling that following month just before i was about to leave they revealed that they were making everyone in the marketing team redundant anyway and so i would have lost my job either way
1: that's a crazy like quantum connection for you like you were gonna resign and they said like they want to sack off everybody or something it was madness it was madness
0: they said to me they had a list hr came in came walking in with a manager they read out a list of names and the jobs and said john sue you're being made redundant julian if you were still staying here we would have made you redundant and it was just absolutely brutal i think maybe one or two people actually kept the job that was it big Uh, team and
1: this was before the pandemic right
0: yeah. Yeah. This was way before. Yeah. I think probably going back to 2017, 2016, okay. Something like
1: that. 2016. Yeah. Okay. So it's been like six years for you, six to seven years for you in SEO.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I started off blog writing and then I got into sales copywriting because I could charge more, I could get bigger clients. And basically I was providing more value, which meant I earned more money. And then I actually created my own website where I was writing on there, and I would spend a lot of hours every day writing on that website to try and grow it. Wouldn't get any love from Google. It wouldn't rank no matter how much time I spent on the content. And that's when I had some friends who taught me about link building and how to do link building, how to scale it, how to do outreach. And Back then as well, outreach was insane. If you started a website and started doing outreach back then, you could get as many backlinks as you want all day, every day for free.
1: With Harrow or something, right?
0: uh outreach, outreach outreach so i would okay. create like one for example let's say you have a website about bitcoin i would create an article about bitcoin just like the ultimate guide to bitcoin something like that then do outreach for that with the skyscraper technique where i'd say hey you've got an article about crypto i've got an article about crypto would you be open to linking to it and back then you could get as many free links as you wanted it was it was wide open unless people were doing it
1: yeah and what was your transitioning phase from being this content guy to the backlink guy now, you know, like, cause what was the yeah, transition for you? So
0: that transition, it really happened of course, cause my website wasn't ranking cause I didn't have any backlinks and then additionally two of my best mates in Chiang Mai at the time said to me, you know, you need to find something more scalable basically, because at that point I probably hit about 5k. But I'd max out my time. So I was making about 5K a month from sales copywriting, but I couldn't work any more hours. It was quite difficult to get higher ticket clients unless you're top 1% copywriters in the world. And I looked at them, and they were running link building agencies, one or two clients making 10, 20K a month, and working less hours than me. And I was like, okay, there's, there's a big gap in between what I know and my skills versus them. And they were kind enough to show me the way of link building and how it works. And they were sat right next to me in the cafe so we could learn from each other, essentially.
1: Yeah. And you being in the content side of things in SEO versus the backlink side of things in SEO, what would you say is like the challenges you faced in the content versus the challenges you faced in the link building side of things? And how did you navigate it yourself?
0: Is that in terms of actually running the business or actually ranking
1: it? Ranking and also like running the business just common challenges.
0: Yeah. So with content, I think it's valued a lot less, honestly. I think it's more of a commodity and it's much easier to create content than it is to create backlinks for for the world population in general, right? So most website owners, if you told them to sit down and write a blog, they're not going to have any issues. but If you told them to sit down for seven days and build a backlink, I think most people would struggle. They wouldn't know where to start or what type of backlink is the best, et cetera. And so that's one of the most common challenges is basically, I think you can make a lot more money in backlinks and just being 100% honest, here, I think you can make a lot more money in backlinks than you can with content unless you're very good at scaling. it.
1: And it's also yeah. kind of really fun, you know, playing with the backlinks and the anchor text and stuff like that. Is it for you?
0: So much fun. It's like a game. Honestly, I think building backlinks is very addictive in some ways because you see your traffic chart and then you see the backlinks come in. You're like, I wonder what is going to happen next. I wonder where the DR is going to go, what sort of keywords are going to rank. And it becomes a lot of fun. And then you even get a dopamine rush. I remember this when I used to do outreach myself was you get a dopamine rush seeing what backlinks have come in. Like, oh, this website linked to me. This dr seventy link to me, living the dream. I remember my mate at the time. He got a link from Blinkist, from Outreach, which you would never get now. Like super high dr website, you know, really big business, but you got a link from them, and he's, you know, never smoked crack, but he, he probably, he probably had the same sort of high from building a backlink from Blinkist. Sadly, you know. Yeah, and I think with a the,
1: yeah, and I think with the backlink side of things, it's just like. You know, it's like the unknown factor. Like you don't know what's gonna happen. Either it's gonna be a small boost, or a little boost, or just like you know, a ranking boner. Like um, the other SEO guys would say. And and sometimes uh things don't work out. It's just like that stagnant, you know, like on the link graph. Why would you say some some sites are just stuck at the same position and with the same traffic?
0: I mean, it really depends. Like, it'd be easy for me to say, do this, do that, et cetera. But some websites, like, literally, I think they've just lost complete trust from Google. And at that point, you can't do anything. You just got to wait for the next core update and improve things slowly. And that's one of the biggest issues I see is like, sometimes people hit a wall and it's not because they're not building enough links or they're not creating enough content. They just hit a wall simply because Google doesn't like the site and you've got to fix things before the next core update. And they're kind of going to cap you. That's what I've seen. But then there's other sites where they're like, why is my website not growing? I'm creating content every single day with ChatGPT. And then you check out the site and you're like, well, 90% of this content is fluff. I wouldn't read it. You wouldn't read it. Let's be honest. It's not going to rank. And so improve the quality on that. And then additionally, it's a DR0, mate. It's got no backlinks and you're trying to compete in, say, the medical niche or something ridiculous like that. And so it's, it's usually... Usually the obvious things, you know, content, backlinks, keywords, etc.
1: And like you said, like there are some domains which Google don't prefer, you know, in terms of ranking and it's just spending more of its time on the other websites or the competitors. Do you think some domains, they just have bad juju, like, you know, just bad luck and they just Google is not going to recrawl them in, until the next update?
0: Yeah, I do think that's the case. So, for example, if you've got a bunch of low-quality content on your site, then you might be in a certain tier versus another site, particularly if you start – I was speaking to Gail Breton about this, and he had a theory, and I don't know where it came from. I think he checked some of the white papers and stuff at Google. He was basically saying that when you start hitting a certain level of traffic monthly, maybe 100K, something like that, you're rated, and your website is sort of in a tier with a formula it's like if you're a f tier you're going to get less favorable results versus a website let's say a c or a b tier and therefore you're going to be capped in terms of the amount of traffic you can get no matter how much you push on your website and then you just have to go back you have to prune some of the content improve it make all the one the percent tweaks and eventually on the next four update you're going to get rewarded but it takes time it takes time especially if you've got a big website
1: so if you're in the for any of our listeners listening and they think they are in the tier F or D, whatever tier they're classifying, what are the steps they can take? Like, are they just give up on the domain or what, what they can do?
0: Depends how serious you are about the website and how much money it can make you, right? Hmm. I think if it's if it's a website that's making anywhere between 50 and 100K a month, that's when you really look at that website seriously and you go back and making the 1% tweaks is 100% worth it. But if it's a website like, for example, cheaperbirds.com, where, you know, you're making $500 or $1,000 a month, is it worth spending 100 hours a week trying to fix that? Probably not. So I just think it depends on your situation as a business owner. You know, what's the size of the opportunity, basically?
1: So those kind of situations, they can happen. And would you say, like, for an average SEO guy, like he should be diversifying his portfolio. Because for me, if I had only one site and it got bad juju and it's on the tier, you know, F, let's say, like yeah. I'll be panicking, you know.
0: You should get a message on Google Search Console that says you got bad juju. That would be a great message. Like, sorry, mate, you've got bad juju, you're out of <laughs> But I think, yeah, the diversification is the name of the game. Maybe not at first. So if you're just getting started and you're just learning things, then you're not at a point where you've you've not got any leverage, right? You've not got a team, you've not got systems, you've not got experience. And if you try to diversify everything, then you're just scaling something that you have no idea about. And that's not gonna be very profitable. So if you, it depends what stage you're at. Like if you're just learning SEO, then probably better to just focus on one website, test things, get a lot of experience, build the systems, and then start hiring a team once it's profitable. Whereas if you're at the stage where, you know, you're making 10 or 20K a month with SEO, then it's time to start diversifying in terms of the websites, in terms of the systems, even in terms of the team that you have, traffic sources. SEO isn't the only way to get traffic, right? It's like you can start looking at ways to get traffic. For example, for my business, we get traffic from YouTube, from Twitter, from LinkedIn, from Facebook groups, we have an email list and that just diversifies everything to the point where if Google came along one day and we're like, we don't like what you're sharing on YouTube, Julian Goldie, <laughs> you know, that's not very good. And if our website got hit, which wouldn't surprise me, you know, could happen, yeah. then it's okay because we've got all these diversifications of, of traffic, even to the point where, you know, for certain search terms, I know we talked about it on our video. We have ten different platforms ranking on Google for different keywords, and it's like if one goes down, it's fine. We've got the other one.
1: Hmm. Yeah, diversification is the key for me as well. Like right now, like we're getting our PBN customers from everywhere. Now we're getting PBN customers from like you uh, to a, to X X now, and. And yeah, thank you, Julian. Like, you inspired me to get on X, to be honest. Like, whenever I was getting on X, I just saw your post. And in Chiang Mai, you told how many impressions you gained. I was like, okay, if Julian can do it, I can also do it. <laughs> you know, and yeah, thank you, mate. And and coming to the link building side of things,
0: like, what, what's your favorite backlink strategy? Link building, so I still use outreach to this day. So the same strategy that I was using years ago, I still use to this day. But of course, it's gone under, say, 100 different Probably more 100 different optimizations in terms of how we outreach the emails that we use, the setup on the DMARC and DKIM and SPF records, etc And I still use outreach to this day. It's still the most effective, scalable, predictable way to get backlinks, not just on my own portfolio of sites, but also for our clients. And, and that's what I love about it. And then, of course, we have a list of pre vetted suppliers because if we're sending thousands and thousands of emails, At a point, we can't just keep reaching out to the same websites and going, hey, mate, remember that email you got yesterday? Well, we got another client today that that wants a backlink as well. And so we have a list of pre-vetted suppliers that we've built from Outreach. And then for every single client, we run a new Outreach campaign as well. And
1: being in the Outreach game for years for yourself, what do you think has changed in terms of Outreach like? back in the days, like four years ago versus now, is it like still the same or is it a bit different? Ranking factors
0: I mean, and stuff like that? I think the conversion rates have definitely gone down for me while So like I was saying before, previously you could get a 10% conversion rate from email sent to backlinks spill for free without paying anything. And, and that was almost standard at that point back then, you know, going back three or four years ago, et cetera. Whereas now, a lot more websites have cottoned on to the fact that they can sell backlinks, they can make a ton of money out of it. The amount of SEOs, I know, just doing YouTube and and building link farms and then making like 10K a month from, from selling backlinks on those websites is crazy. So I think there's a lot of money in it and therefore you're going to get less free links from Outreach, especially if you've never done it before. So that's one of the main things. But aside from that, it's not changed a massive amount. I mean, you have to be more careful in terms of filtering and the metrics that you use because because of the amount of link farms out there that disguise themselves as real websites selling real backlinks. You, you have to be careful in terms of filtering. I'll give you an example. I had a mastermind client yesterday who pulled up his dashboard. He's like, hey, I got this DR77 backlink for $50. What do you think to it? And we pulled it up and I was like, on the surface level, looks like a good backlink right 77 dr getting a decent amount of traffic but then i was like check the keywords to see what it's ranking for and we checked the keywords and it was like mp3 tiktok or something like that you know just just really random keywords that don't make any sense to rank for unless you're trying to inflate the vanity metrics in terms of keywords and organic traffic for that site and so it's kind of a nice looking website on the service level, total trash once you dig into the quality of the site. And the same for the DR. Like people just go into Fiverr.com, inflate the DR to like 70 or 50 of the night. And then to everyone else who doesn't know much about link building and outreach, they reach out to this site. They're like, oh, DR 70 for $30, I'll have a bit of that. And actually, no, 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 it's not a good backlink. It's very toxic. And so, Yeah filtering metrics, vanity metrics, you have to be careful of, and then just the number of free links versus paid links is changing. So what are vanity metrics? So like, for example, there's a lot of clients out there who they watch these YouTube videos about SEO and they're like, all right, here's what I need. I need to worry about trust flow. I need to worry about DR. I need to worry about spam score. I need to worry about organic traffic. And if all these metrics are on point, then it's a good backlink. And it's like, no, 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 It can go so much deeper than that. And also a lot of these vanity metrics don't even matter. Like we were talking previously about how spam score as well. is just, it's total BS, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I supplied domains to one of my oldest clients, you know, and I was like, Oh, he, he's been with me like seven years. And I got an email yesterday and he's like, bro, the spam score is too high. And I'm like, bro, I can't believe you said that. Don't ever contact me again. No, I'm just kidding. But yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs>
0: Never contact me again. Block my email. Take me off
1: the list. Yeah, big agency guy like in the States. But I don't know. He, he was trying to share me some PDF or something about spam score. And I was like, I'm not going to even read it, bro. Like, why do you think people are still believing in the spam score kind of like metrics and stuff like
0: I mean, there's, you can come up with certain conspiracies, right? I could see it from, say, if I own a tool, and I'm like, right, you need this tool mm. to figure out if your backlinks are good. Just pay the subscription, and then you can easily check whether your J score or your T score or whatever it is is on point for that backlink. And so people create these marketing trends where it's like simplifying something, and to figure out that simplification, you need to pay for this tool or you need to pay for the service, et cetera. And I think it's just ma- really good marketing, exceptional marketing to to brainwash people to the point where they think spam score or trust flow or whatever is, is relevant.
1: Yeah. And with these outreach links and the niche edits you supply to your clients, are you tearing them up or just building more consistently kind of thing?
0: Yeah, never tear them up. I never tear them up, yeah. yeah. I know there are all sorts of strategies. I mean, for example, I spoke to Nathan Kochi was saying, like, he just builds lower quality niche edits to tear up his tier twos. But for me, we don't worry about that. Like, it's, it's more about the metrics on the page. We do have a 50-point checklist for checking backlinks because, as you know, clients can be so picky about links. So we have a 50-point checklist. We show it to the client before they sign off and it's like, We've done everything we can to make sure it's a good quality backlink. We have three people check it before so.
1: 50 points.
0: Yeah. yeah so is it, just, is it
1: like applicable for each URL or some of the factors would be applicable for some URL and other URL different factors or all factors for all URLs?
0: Pretty much all factors for all URLs, which means that we only get backlinks from the top 1% of sites, but I just, I hate seeing client complaints. I hate seeing bad NPS scores, I ain't seen anything that's tied to my name getting a bad rep, and so that's why I'm so strict on that, and it's just something we've iterated over and over and over again, like we have a team meeting every Monday between the account managers, the ops manager, and me, and it's just a case of making sure, okay, what did clients not like this week? Okay, let's remove that. How can we make this better? Yeah. And just by those tiny little 1% tweaks every week, your service gets better and better and better, which means that the retention rates get better and better. Yeah. I mean, we had
1: with us for years, and I'm sure you've got to say it, man. Yeah, it's I was what you said, like we're in a very risky kind of business. Like, even my PBN links, like PBN domain, it's under my name, right? Some person can just fire up, you know, like a PR campaign and just do like even fake screenshots just to tarnish the reputation. Like, we're in a very risky business, but yeah, where the risk is also the rewards bigger. Um, what anchors are you using? What's the anchor tech strategy? Because I feel like yes. in the last years, right? It's, it's changing every Google update, like the Anchor Tech strategy. So what was working like in the previous update is not working in the, this update. And now I'm just like thinking and talking to my team managers, hey, we need to test every update, the new Anchor Tech strategy.
0: How do you test it?
1: So we just like take a random URL, like, for example, dog leashes, you know, or horse leads, and we'll just... Do 20% direct, 20% partial, 20% URL in the first and take the same uh, niche, different URL, do it with the three URLs and just see what anchor text performs the better. If it's a position up, okay, this worked. There's a position down, this didn't work. And if it's stagnant, okay, Google didn't respond. So we just kind of like playing with that. But you know, SEO is very deep. You can only play to an extent of what you know and how you perceive things so yeah like what are your thoughts
0: yeah so for us we obviously never use the same anchor text over and over again and we try and vary it with each link and then it's just a combination of whatever feels natural with the link insert so because we don't do guest posts we do link inserts mainly with outreach and so when we build those links we just make sure that the anchor text is relevant and natural and fits naturally within the content But we don't overcomplicate it because it needs to be scalable across all of our clients and their portfolios. And then additionally, we just mix up the anchor text pretty much every single time. Like we never seem to use the same anchor text. So it's
1: like a unique anchor text uh, strategy. And if do you also like study the current graphs of the anchors and make sure that they are not done on your campaign? Or do you do the same on your campaign and make sure it's not repeated in your specific campaigns following the initial campaign?
0: yeah so we just mix it up every time and then also what we typically do is we'll figure out okay how many backlinks we need to rank this page and then we'll move on to the next campaign the next campaign and just iterate like that and then everything that we do for our clients i have over 100 test sites where i can run the same experiments and tests on my sites first make sure it's actually working and then move on and implement it
1: and how do you make these test sites like you just get emds exact match domains <laughs>
0: no, I, no i mean i don't really do exact match domains yeah yeah i've it would be something like for example cheapybirds.com or i don't know juliangoldy.com and, and just test what's working and and run the same sort of campaigns i would for clients but on my own sites
1: okay i'll
0: keep it as simple as possible
1: keep it simple but yeah. the pointers you're giving is sometimes confusing for the listener listening because they're like, he said 50 factors and then he said this and then he said that. I'm confused, right? But yeah. Ah, uh, like- yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, for me, it's like, number one, don't take my word for gospel. Like, I'm not the best SEO in the world. Just, I am I'm, I can give you advice based on what's working for me. And you see, I run experiments every single day. But test it yourself. See what works. Don't buy backlinks. Don't build backlinks. <laughs> don't just,
1: buy backlinks. Just, test out <laughs> just build content. You don't need backlinks.
0: <laughs> yeah, like I mean, just create your own sites. Mm. Build one with backlinks, one without. See what happens. Mm. Test it out yourself. And I don't think I'm like the master of SEO. I don't think that everything I say is right. I'm human, like everyone else, and I'm probably quite biased. as well. I have a link an agency, so I'm I'm selling backlinks. Am I going to say they work? Absolutely. Yeah. They work most of the time, yeah. I mean, for me, one of the things that I found was, like, when I Google any keyword, the top-ranking domains usually always have more backlinks than the lowest-ranking domains, right? And so it's all about, okay, what's worked for me and what have I actually seen working? And I think without going too deep, for everything in life, I just, I'm like, I'll assume it's BS until it's backed up with facts.
1: Agreed. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And what are your thoughts on um, disavow?
0: Do you do any disavow internally or something? We only do disavows if I see that the backlinks have a clear causation towards dropping the traffic. So if the traffic hasn't dropped, then I don't recommend a disavow. But if the traffic has dropped and it's clearly because of the backlinks bill then I'll do a disavow.
1: So how do you know like it's because of the backlink, it's not because of the content? How do you differentiate
0: so like, for example, if the content quality is good or it's been optimized in the right way and, and all the right things have been done there, but the backlinks have been built to the site and then the traffic has dropped, then it's like, okay, these are the backlinks that, of course, the problem. And then as well, I think you have to do some common sense where you dig deeper and you're like, okay, what's the quality of the backlinks? Well, obviously some of them are trash. So get rid of them, keep these, etc. Yeah. But I'm not a, I'm not a massive website recovery expert as well. Like for me, I've not done a massive amount of disavows. I think probably someone like James Dooley is, is someone more knowledgeable than me on that topic.
1: Yeah. I mean, I remember doing a disavow back in 2016 or something when disavow was just coming out and it was getting very trendy and the updates were coming out, And I just tried to remove some really, really bad links, you know, like, you just see like on the URL just bad. And the rankings went down. <laughs> and I had to just delete. The, <laughs> and I had to just delete the disavow. <laughs> and after that, I never touched a website where I recommended disavow. In my strategy, I just tell the client just use these backlinks just to build better back- backlinks and we'll use this uh Either Google's gonna ignore these bad links or we can use it to diversify more anchor text and more natural links. So I don't know what's working in the bad link profiles. What's your opinion?
0: I can't remember the last time I saw someone get a penalty for link building. Yeah. Honestly, it seems like Google ignores bad links. Yeah. I've never seen like a full open case study where it's like, okay, we built these links, they were total trash. And then we removed the links and the traffic went back up. I've never seen that case study. Yeah, me too. And it's like, okay, well, if that was the case, if it was really true, wouldn't there be more evidence about it? Because it's so mind-blowing. You mm. know, there's lots of case studies on backlinks, and you can openly track that, that they actually increase rankings. Lots of case studies that good quality content with experience inside it. Mm. Ranks. Like, that's just irrefutable evidence. How many case studies have I seen of a disavow? where it's increased traffic zero but i would love to see that like if someone could send that to me i would absolutely love to see that just never seen it it's hmm. so, okay so why would i recommend this if if i've never seen any evidence that it actually works
1: yeah and even in the conference you remember i don't know if you were there this presentation by this um i think the casino talkers the speakers and he was asked the question in front of 900 people and he was the guy's like, so how do you disavow bad links? And he's like, disavow is bullshit. Mic drops, you know, it was just the funniest moment ever. Like, and people were like looking at each other and they're like, what the fuck, you know? So, yeah, I don't know. It's just like, if it works, it works. If it does not work, it does not work. But yeah, there's not much evidence, like he said.
0: Yeah, that's it. And I think everything has to be evidence-based. I was thinking about this before. I was like... What happens if we, like, Is it, do we live in a world in SEO where it's constructed on facts, or do we live in a world where it's kind of like magical thinking and people like do this now and then we all do it, and then someone else says, no, 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 you want to do it like this. It's kind of like, you know, like, uh, like cults. There's some cults out there who are like, this happened, so the traffic went up. So this means you should do it every single time, and it's like, how much of the stuff are we doing in SEO? This nonsense and doesn't make any sense. And how much of it is actually fact based?
1: And how do you differentiate between this uh, magical thinking versus the facts? Because most of the facts out there, I think it's coming from like delusion, you know. And for a normal, <laughs> <laughs> for a normal normal person who's reading an article, you know, well written, good design branding and check out my free course, you know, and you're like, wow, this is legit, you know, I'm going to listen to this guy. How do you differentiate from those people versus if people had to listen to you or me, like how, how are you fact-checked?
0: And you got to test it yourself. You got to run all these experiments yourself. If you want to be that well tuned with what's going on right now, you have to be testing yourself. And if you can't test it yourself, if you don't have the time or the resources, then you have to kind of accept that actually you will be behind or you will be misled sometimes. I think it's inevitable. The other thing I wonder as well is, for example, if I look at YouTube marketing, right, what was working even one month ago might not work today. And what worked yesterday probably won't work tomorrow. And like the game is constantly changing. And so I wonder whether it's the same with, with Google as well. It's just the fact that with YouTube, I get direct feedback. And because I'm testing it every single day myself and I see all the analytics and I split test everything, I can see that the game is constantly changing. It's just reinvention all the time. I'll give you some actionable examples of this for YouTube, for example, right? If I do a YouTube live on a video topic like free backlinks, last week it will get me 53K views. Wow. If I do that exact same video organically, it'll get like 5K views. So then I should do lives, right? That would signal that I should do lives all the time. And so if I start doing lives every single day, well actually the impact and the reach of those lives, YouTube lives, drops substantially to the point where I might only get two or three K views of video. And so then I have to switch back to organic, which is this constant jigsaw puzzle of, okay, what was working today wasn't working tomorrow. And I wonder whether it's the same with with SEO in some ways
1: that's interesting
0: that's interesting
1: so based on the games we play in SEO do you have this perspective and mindset that you know that you in the game playing a game that's always going to evolve and you have to evolve as a person or you just get sucked in sometime and get nasty about Google updates or what's your (laughs) what's your mindset
0: (laughs) just go on to Twitter burn down your website (laughs) reply to my tweets and give me a bit of hate no I think I think you just have to constantly adapt. And I think that game of adaptation is moving faster and faster and faster and faster. The speed at which I had to iterate and adapt five or six years ago, as a person in business, in SEO, was much, much slower Compared to today, where everything seems to be moving at lightning speed. For example, I showed you that YouTube case study that we just talked about now. The same with AI. You know, for example, 12 months ago, we would have got so much hate for using ChatGPT in SEO. Whereas today yeah, it's standard. You're an idiot if you don't use ChatGPT to help you. And so I think things are just moving and you have to be like, right, today I'm going to learn a lot. I'm just going to open my mind. I'm going to look at the facts and not the opinions. I'm going to assume everything is BS unless it's proven and backed up with stats. And I'm going to look at maybe three or five ways that I can improve today. That I have to implement tomorrow, and then the same tomorrow. I'm going to look at three ways that I can improve, and then implement those again and again and again and again. And again.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, from what you just shared, like you have to keep changing and keep adapting and keep being dynamic, you know. And I feel like it's definitely a skill set because people feel more safe in their ideology and the facts they know, and they want to hold on to it. Why do you think people are so stuck in the same ideology while change is the name of the game. Do you think it's to do with the psychological factor that you kind of like gifted whatever and, and other people are like, no, Julian, I don't want to change. I don't want to jump, uh, jump into charge GPT. I don't want to jump into PBNs. I, I want to, I want to just comply, conform, you know, why do you think is that?
0: Yeah. Without getting too philosophical, I think that as humans we're wired to enjoy comfort and we're wired to spend as little energy as possible as a survival function. Right. And so in today's world where you have to adapt constantly, that requires a lot more energy and it requires being a lot more flexible. I think the other thing as well, that for me, for example, I I will happily go on a podcast like this and say I'm not the world's best SEO or something like that. And I can accept that. And it doesn't hurt my ego. And I know that the person who speaks on a podcast like this in 12 months, myself, will be completely different because I have to adapt. I have to learn. I have to test new things. And I'm okay with that. It doesn't hurt my ego. I have no attachment to the person I am today or tomorrow or yesterday. But there's a lot of SEOs out there who are still still sticking and conforming to to traditional perspectives simply because the mind feels comfortable in that way. It doesn't hurt your ego if you say, right, I'm okay as I am and I don't need to adapt. Hmm. And I think... You know, the speed at which I'm talking about to adapt is only if you want to become world-class, right? It's a high level of intensity. So, for example, on YouTube channel, not an arrogant way, but I would say my YouTube channel gets more views in SEO than anyone else. Like, week to week, if you compare the total number of views I get versus 99% of the other channels out there, my SEO channel gets some of those views. And... To to adapt at that level and to keep performing at that level requires a very high intensity in terms of being flexible and adaptable. And, and most people are not prepare for that.
1: And when did you notice that change for you? Like when you were just like adapting every Google update, and you're like, okay, I became that guy. Like, was it like always like in different sectors before SEO, or you just kind of learned learned this skill in the last few years, maybe after the pandemic or something?
0: that's a great question yeah so I think it's it was never something I was born with naturally probably up to like the age of 24 I didn't adapt at all I just wanted to stay the same person and for me to ever admit that I was wrong in my 20s was a painful thing that I would never do because I thought people would respect me less for that just being 100% honest whereas I think today you look back and you go well, actually people respect me more if I say them wrong or if I openly admit to, to my mistakes and not being perfect and so in the world of SEO, probably post-pandemic, you know, because you have a lot of time for introspection and you have a lot of a lot of change going on in the world, which makes you look at yourself as well as a person, and then just learning from other people. So, for example, like for me, one of the people that I follow the most is Alex hormozy right? And one of the things that he said about a year ago that I watched this video was like, in terms of, leveling up in business whether that's seo whether that's growing an agency whether that's growing your niche site etc usually there's only two things that are holding you back but you need to, to adapt both of those things to keep improving and that's skill set and beliefs and it's actually quite easy to change your skill set because if you want to learn facebook ads for example you can learn from a course or a youtube video you can practice it so quite easy to learn any skill set i learned chinese in in nine months and up to the age of 25 I I couldn't speak a second language at all now speaks five right quite easy to learn skills if you have the right people that that can help you and support you but in terms of beliefs that's really where you have to adapt so you have to say okay I was wrong here I've got to change my beliefs about this got to change my mindset I've got to be open I've got to accept that people know way more than me and that actually I know nothing Mm. and and that's where it comes down to adaptation and flexibility
1: Hmm. that's funny like us having a conversation being in this industry for years and and being able to adapt and adapt and adapt and and have ego that's you know like every google update like it's kind of like scary for any person who wants to enter seo because it's never going to be the same you know and it makes me think like how much seo is just not skill based but Emotional, you know, intelligence, resilience base, because if you don't have those skills and you're going to have the SEO skills, you'll find it really difficult to just make that breakthrough without that emotional resilience.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is something I see as well all the time, which is, and this is crazy, right? but there's so many skilled SEOs out there, like world, world class skill level, but they don't make that much money. Because they focus more on the skill set in SEO than the skill set in making money. And if they had that adaptability in their brain to step away from what they're currently doing and go, actually, I need to focus more on converting that traffic into money rather than actually getting the traffic in the first place. Like if I make, if I get 90% less traffic, but I make 10 times more money, I'll take that, I'll take that deal any day, right?
1: Yeah. And... And yeah, coming back to the SEO side of things, local versus uh, nationwide SEO. What do you think is a difference? Because for me, like if a local client comes versus a client comes with the e-commerce store and they're targeting, let's say UK, for example, I have so much leverage over, you know, doing more backlinks and just extensive campaigns and not worrying about anything, you know, like versus a local, you have to be more mindful with... The anchors, the velocities, and how much you send in uh, to the clients and the GMB and stuff. So what would you say in your experience, local versus nationwide SEO? Do you mean in terms of organic or the maps listings? In terms of, uh, let's say, Plumber London versus Plumber UK.
0: Ah, okay. So I actually love local SEO. Like, I'm a big fan of it because it's just so much easier. Like, if you look at the keyword difficulty of, say, plumber – nationally versus plumber related keywords locally it's easy mode like and i see the same on my agency website link building agency obviously seo one of the most competitive niches on the internet because every top seo is competing in that realm and i can still find incredibly easy keywords in tiny little cities across the us that are going to bring in clients and very high value clients And so i actually love local seo I don't change that much in terms of the actual link building technique. We're still going to use outreach. We're still going to use that 50 point checklist and the anchor text strategies that we talked about previously, but it's going to be easier to compete. It's going to be faster to rank and it's still going to bring in the same value of clients, just maybe less traffic.
1: Like I hear you and, and in my experience, like I find the nationwide SEO much easier than local SEO. What do you think I might be doing wrong? Because for me, like if I have to rank something nationwide, I just blast for a couple of months and it'll just, the ranks will come up, you know, and with the local, I'm just like, What it's do you going mean to- blast? Yeah. Like you're going
0: to, you're going to blast tons of PBNs. And then- <laughs>
1: yeah, basically. And <laughs> when it's a local, I'm like, okay, up and down, up and down, up and down. You know, I see that. What do you think I might be making a mistake that, it, it, it could be like a blind spot for me.
0: It depends. Maybe the competition of the keywords. So mm. for me, when I do local SEO, I'm targeting easy, easy stuff. But the great thing is if you've got a business that's remote and can get clients from anywhere in the world, then you can target easy stuff. And there's cities all over the world that have not been monetized properly yet. Mm. And so I, I think that's one of the keys to success with local SEO is just find the easy stuff, it's available in every state across the US if you wanna get US clients or UK clients, et cetera. I mean, we had a client come to us who was an SEO agency and they were just like, I wanna rinse all the boroughs in London to get clients. And they rank in like first page with like a DR10 or DR20 website that we built links to. Wow. And so the method works really well and you can just rinse and repeat it for any niche. I mean, for example, as well, we had a plumbing website actually, in sewer repair and it's something like plumbing services Ohio. Built all the content with one click using blogging AI. DR0 website didn't even get around to building links because it's only like 30 days ago. And that website is ranking number one for tons of the keywords that we targeted just because there's so low competition, so easy to rank for. DR0 website, brand new domain built in 20 days. Crazy.
1: Beautiful. And do you have like these tons of case studies in under the campaigns you do in-house, and how do you decide like this kind of client study is going out on, on my YouTube channel or X and this is not like how do you decide that with the client or what's a what's a the mindset there?
0: Yeah, so for me actually I switched about a year and a, a half ago from using client case studies to using my own. Cause I was like, it's so easy to create content now with AI. It's so easy for me to build backlinks at scale. I have a team of 50 people that can handle that. I can get backlinks for any website like really easily. And so if I've got that level of leverage, why am I relying on clients to showcase case this? Because they don't want to show their business to their URL. Some of them are scared to go on camera, which I totally understand as well. So they're not going to do a video testimonial waste of the time. They might even not want to, to, to show their face on a testimony. I've had some clients who are like, yeah, you can quote me, but just don't show my face. And I'm like... I can't do much with that, mate. Like, that's not going to help me. And so I was like, right, well.
1: Or they say, like, I I don't want to get famous, Julian. I'm not like you, you (laughs) know.
0: Yeah, that's it. I mean, personally, I never wanted to get big or or well-known at all. I think you just get to a certain level of, you get to a certain level in your agency where you're like, I cannot grow without any sort of organic audience. And so I have to go full speed on the marketing. But just coming back to to the case studies so i'm like right well i can blast out a case study that's going to rank in 20 or 30 days and show that it's my own website and hold nothing it. i can expose all the keywords crl i can expose all the backlinks that we're building and that is the best case study everyone everyone wants to see because there's no bs it's completely transparent or i can wait for a client to approve it my they might get the legal team to check it out they might be scared about showing their face. So definitely not going to get on camera nine times out of 10. Do I? And if I expose their website and all the keywords they're ranking for, ethically, someone could target them. One of the competitors Mm. could rinse and steal everything that I've done. So I'm like, right, well, which one's a better solution? Okay, I'm just going to build out my own sites. And then it's kind of like a positive feedback loop as well, because I'm creating case studies that make me money anyway. That feeds into the content that I'm doing on YouTube and Twitter or wherever else. And then that content is growing my agency so that I can invest more back into case studies and tests and stuff. And so it creates this beautiful feedback loop where everything that I'm doing is is twice as powerful because I get leverage from the SEO sites I build that make money and I get leverage from the growth of my agency by creating that content. Hmm.
1: That's interesting you say that because I had a client and we were kind of ranking his website, agency website Every, for every agency term in the uk and he's like i'm seeing your podcast and i think i should pop up and i can talk about seo and i'll get clients you know i'm like bro like if you pop up there's going to be 20 people building a website and trying to outrank you make a public case study and that's going to be like not leveraging for your main business he's like okay okay i'm going to drop the idea you know so it's funny like yeah how there's so much reasoning that goes into like what to put out there, you know, for me, especially.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I see what you're saying. I think one of the best ways you can market yourself is just do loads of case studies, loads of tests. And even if those websites take a massive hit, let's say they get smashed up by Google or something like that, that's still going to capture people's attention, which is still going to lead to them hiring you because yeah. you're the only person that is actually being transparent and honest about it.
1: Yeah. And this comes back to like 2014 for me, like 2014 or 2015, when I was just getting into SEO and me and my first business partner who actually showed me the PB in game, you know, and we were like, okay, we're going to rank for SEO consultant London, you know, in, in a month and let's show all the people who we are, you know, and we did it. But after we kind of put the case study out, there were 20 websites on page two, page three, (laughs) just coming for us, you know. And we kind of maintained the position for two to three years still, like maybe two years. And then just like all those websites just came in and just, you know, and just went away kind of thing.
0: Yeah, this happens all the time, mate. I'll publish. It happened to me this week. I did a video case study where I talked about how to get video testimonials using AI. So... You basically not video testimonials, just testimonials in general. And you get these backlinks from a tool's homepage like Autoblogging AI, they link back to your site because you've given them a nice testimonial when you've created the content with AI. So it's really scalable, right? And literally within hours of publishing that video, 10 people reached out to Autoblogging AI, like, hey mate, I've got this testimonial for you. Do you mind giving me that homepage backlink? And you're <laughs> like, oh, no, 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 no. it's not. Yeah, yeah, it's.
1: yeah, yeah yeah and yeah it's like and I know and I sorry, know, yeah yeah go on
0: yeah so they literally just just copied me not just in terms of the technique and the strategy which I'm totally fine with yeah but they literally copied the website that I got a backlink from and the tool and they reached out to the exact same person it was like yeah that's not how to do it yeah
1: and I know Vaporv kind of smart you know into not getting into these traps um yeah he's coming in Dubai next month I'm messaging yeah. um coming to the prediction side of things like what do you think uh, what do you predict in the next google updates like for me personally i feel like there's going to be a reverse of all the updates that happened since november and we're going to see some like old school seo like hardcore content hardcore links no e-e-a-t signals like that's what i'm predicting <laughs> what is it for
0: you you so like websites that got hit in the hcu get their rankings back up is that what
1: you're saying yeah because the new AI content is just unbeatable it's just amazing like i remember posting from ChatGPT like in october versus now it's just massive difference man the quality and what you're getting and and also like i've seen some reversal already like this month this uh january like google's rewarding sites with a lot of backlinks and stuff so i make that prediction but what prediction you make
0: i think they got to do something about parasite seo i think this is the biggest issue right now which is that people are absolutely spamming Hmm. every single parasite seo platform they could and for really really dodgy stuff so it's not like you know, someone going on to LinkedIn Pulse and then ranking for best SEO company in London or something like that. It's like super crazy stuff that I can't really mention on this this video. And I think they've got to do something about that because that's the biggest threat to them as a business. And why do you think they're not doing anything about it? I think it's kind of like a game of chess where there's many secondary and third order consequences that they actually can't see because... Any update that they create, there's massive consequences for everyone, right? And whatever they do, someone's going to get hurt, and that can lead to to bad consequences for, for for Google, right? It's like I was speaking to Jackie Chow about this, and he was saying, well, for example, if AI sites take a hit, then you've got companies like Forbes, for example, that could sue them, right? Because if, if say, Forbes got clapped, as Jackie Chow likes to say, for, for doing something like that, where they're ranking for every keyword under the planet, then then they've got the, the power and the resources to do something about it and to, to claim action. Whereas if they allow what's currently happening to keep happening, then that's only going to expand and it's going to compound into a giant mess because you've got all this illegal stuff that's going on on Google groups. I don't know whether you've seen it or, you know, you've got Reddit ranking for best hair transplant Turkey and it's just some geezer posting on a subreddit and linking to his affiliates. There's all sorts of crazy stuff. And it's like, either way, can Google win? I don't know whether it can or not. Mm. Like it's really tough and I don't know how they can fix that, but I hope they do.
1: Hmm. And, and if it's going to be fixed, what are you going to see on the first page if you're not going to see any parasite?
0: I think, like, authority sites, authority in science. an ideal world, right, what would be nice? Some the authority sites. Yeah, yeah it would be nice if you had actual authority sites with actual experience, you know, where the content is genuine and good. As an, Do you know what is an ideal world as a search engine? It's YouTube. Hmm. YouTube is absolutely amazing. In terms of the quality of content it serves, it always serves the best content. Like, for example, if you click on a video and it's got 100k views, typically that is a genuinely good video that's going to capture your attention for 10 minutes. It's like it serves the best content, but it's not built on backlinks and it's not built on on generating content at scale with AI. It's a totally different format where it's all about capturing and entertaining people's attention. And so that's a beautiful platform. I think if you look at the growth of these channels, YouTube is only going to get bigger. Is organic search going to take a little bit of a hit? Absolutely, I think so.
1: Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting to think about because we're kind of in the unknown, we don't know. That's that's where I'm at. And we make predictions to find some safety into conforming as you might not be dead and we're still going to be around doing these interviews. And it's kind of funny, like we get into this loop of going back and forth. Until there's no answer, but yeah, man. Like I'm really inspired by how you built your brand in the last two years. I think you're gonna be the biggest brand, uh, SEO, SEO, SEO name in the next three months or four months with subscribers with everything. Like, what are your tips for growing the personal brand side of things? Because what I've noticed is like your personality is like really authentic and it's to the point and it's no BS, you know, kind of thing, but at the same time, you're leveraging the marketing trends as well and you kind of combine it together and it just works beautifully man. but any insider tips you want to give?
0: So I think the number one thing that held me back for probably one or two years, and I did a workshop on this afterwards, is, is being able to put yourself out there in the first place. So you know, yourself, what, how did you feel when you first started creating YouTube videos? Did it feel awkward? Yeah, it was,
1: it was like, I didn't even want to watch my own videos. I was like, "What the fuck?" Like, I'm. I could have said this in this way. I could have said this in this way. Maybe I could have cracked a joke, you know. And I was like having those ideas, and then it just dissipates in there That's part of the process.
0: Have you ever seen? Have you ever heard of Hamza on YouTube?
1: Yeah, yeah, that guy Hamza. Yeah,
0: we talked about him, didn't we? He Last
1: shoots. We he shoots in this uh actual studio, actually.
0: What a beast! Yeah, well, he's like one of the YouTube channels, right? Absolute blown up massive success but I remember one of the things that he said was that out of everyone's content on YouTube and it might be a little bit narcissistic this but he said out of everyone's content on YouTube he enjoys watching his content the most and I think a really good test of whether you're creating good content whether it's on Twitter whether it's on YouTube or wherever you're posting is do you enjoy consuming that content so for me if I go back two years ago when no one knew me and I watch back my old videos I cringe, like it's really hard for me to watch. It's even hard for me to click on the thumbnail because I don't like the thumbnails. Whereas now I actually really enjoy listening back to my interviews or to my videos. I might even give this a cheeky little listen back to as well, just to find ways that I I can improve and, to see how articulate i am when i actually speak but it's like if you enjoy consuming your content that's a really good sign that you're onto a winner and then from there it's just a case of making sure that you iterate and improve the other thing that i would say is never be afraid to put yourself out there because you always win when you capture attention and for me for example i did an event last year called baby bathwater right went to this event it's on private island in croatia crazy net worth of if you calculate the whole net worth of everyone who attended just like 100 entrepreneurs and and some of them have private jets and listing on the nasdaq and all that sort of stuff and they had an opportunity where you could speak in front of the whole audience and just make something on the spot and talk about your biggest fails in life for like two or three minutes grab the mic stand up improvise what you're gonna talk about and there was a part of I me mean, even back then that was like, I don't wanna do this. Like, you know, there's so many successful people in this room and I'm not gonna be that articulate when I start speaking and maybe not that entertaining. It could go disastrous. And then I was like, fuck that, excuse my French. I'm gonna pick up the mic, I'm gonna speak. And I actually ended up speaking twice during that event. And it was one of the best things I ever done because no matter, even if it was terrible, getting attention will lead to money. And so if you want to grow your brand, just try and become a master of media where you become better and better at engaging people, capturing their attention and entertaining. Them. And that's basically what I've tried to do across all my brand, whether that's Twitter, whether that's YouTube Shorts, whether that's interviews like this. It's like, how can I say something polarizing that's going to make people think and, and capture their attention?
1: That's beautiful advice. Um, yeah, I'm going to note him on my diary as well and probably watch this podcast and just kind of learn from you. But at the same time, like when you're watching your content, is it like, what's the technique? Are you on your sofa with popcorn or are you <laughs> having, having your diary and you're like, oh, okay, this is where I fucked up. This is, where I could just do it better." you just
0: observing and just taking notes. It's going to sound a little bit strange, but basically what I have every single day that I fill out is a performance tracker. And inside that tracker, I track, like, for example, my energy levels, I track how I'm feeling, I track the top three things I want to achieve that day, and what would make this day successful, along with what I'm grateful for, and that sort of thing. But one of the biggest and most important parts of that tracker is figuring out three ways that I can improve. And so for me, it's that constant game of iteration. And all I try and do with those three things is not try and improve everything. It's not a list of 100 things. It's just three things. And that forces me to prioritize the highest leverage thing that I could improve that day. And from there, if you keep focusing on that, okay, what's the highest leverage thing that I can improve in my videos today? Okay, and then tomorrow, and then the next day. And then you do that for a year or two years, you get to the point where you're on version 200 of your own videos, and you're way better than you ever were before. And so I'll give you an example, right? For me, One of the things I looked back at last year was which videos were performing the best. And obviously it was ChatGPT and AI SEO related content. But additionally, it was when I tried to do something mind blowing that had never been seen before. For example, publishing 1000 articles in 60 minutes. Today, not that interesting. But when I did it last year, it was the first time it had ever been shown on YouTube. And when people actually tried to copy that exact same title on YouTube, which many people did, it didn't get anywhere near the same attention. And so it's like, right, how can I create something unique? That was one of the biggest improvements on YouTube. It was like, how can I craft something that is just going to shock people? People are going to watch it and they're going to think, what the F? And they're going to share it with their friends. They're going to share it with the company Slack. They're going to send it on a WhatsApp chat. I see a lot of traffic come from WhatsApp on YouTube. Um, and that sort of stuff is is really entertaining and captures people's attention fast. Mm. And, and if you just keep focusing, that's only one of 200 tweaks, right? So if you keep focusing on these high leverage changes, everything else becomes easier.
1: Yeah, I'm thinking about what you just said. So what what what's this performance base, you know, like routine looks like for you? Like how much time are you actually thinking about SEO and how much time you're thinking about the growth factors and you in the gym and what, what
0: was your last time? <laughs> you might consider it very unbalanced. So far. I me, mean, I try and leave everything on the on the field when it comes to business because I think right now we have a massive opportunity and I feel like it's the golden years of mm-hmm. SEO. Year. Mm-hmm. So for me, I'm going to leave everything on the playing field so that I never have to look back in a few years and think, I wish I'd made more of that opportunity. Yep. And so uh, it's normal for me to just maybe do 12 hours in the office, something like that. Mm-hmm. I'll do a workout, but I'll make sure it's time efficient as possible. So it'd be like 30 minutes, 20 minutes, four exercises, four sets each exercise and just beat the weights. From the week so full,
1: full body every day? Full body,
0: yeah, yeah. Full body, six days a week, something like that. And I'll just beat the weights from the week before so that I'm always growing and improving. And then obviously I try and have some sort of meaningful connection every single day in terms of spending time with my friends or calling my family or even like an interview like this where you go really deep, way beyond the surface level that you might get on a 10-minute Zoom chat, and, and I think that's really important as well, but yeah, just trying to have enough meaningful social interactions, stay healthy, get enough sleep, et cetera, but put 90% of your energy into to business. And I don't recommend that for everyone, but it's just what's working for me because I have big goals and I want to achieve a lot in life. Yeah. And I, and I personally believe like
1: there's no right balance. It's just, if it works for you or if it doesn't work for you, because what works for me might not work for other people and what works for you, Julian, might not work for you know it you wouldn't have... work for anyone. Yeah, yeah.
0: Ninety nine percent of people this wouldn't work.
1: Yeah. That's all. Yeah. And and yeah, you have this unique personality and approach and and I saw you uh, doing some things like ice baths and stuff. Yeah, what, what, like to do ice baths, that sort of thing. Yeah, tools? just once
0: a week or so. Yeah, yeah. do the Hoover Moon protocol, maybe <laughs> maybe three rounds in the ice bath and sauna in between. I think that's just a great time to recharge as well. Like you come out of the ice bath and everything is reset. It's like one of the few times when you can really take some time off the phone, get away from the laptop and think clearly for a little bit.
1: So you have your cell phone on all the time, with the notifications, or you go on airplane mode Uh, sometimes?
0: Bro, I'm not having notifications (laughs) on my phone. It's it's 24 hours focus mode. Okay. Yeah
1: okay sweet there's no way
0: otherwise my brain would turn to
1: mush (laughs) yeah that's what I've noticed um... so what's the focus mode I never did focus mode I do airplane mode most of the times so it's it's cool I
0: think it's do not disturb Ah, oh do not disturb okay yeah and then just no notifications nothing pops up on the screen and any time that I use the phone is proactive because it's like okay I want to do this now I want to do that now etc
1: and how often you do team meetings for example
0: team meetings once a week every Monday, 4 p.m., just for an hour maximum.
1: And you have managers handling all the 50 people. You have 50 employees, right? You said?
0: Yeah. Yeah. uh, We have a team of 50 people. They're not all like full-time employees. So most of them are contractors. And so it sounds fancy, but you know, actually not all of them are working full-time and it's very flexible depending on demand. But yeah, so I have four people that I manage directly one-to-one. And we have a 30-minute meeting each week, one-to-one, where we talk about KPIs and their growth and trying to develop them. And then that's really the main interactions that I have with the team, the team meeting, the four KPIs. And then obviously you have some virtual assistants that are going to do little jobs for you here and there and you message them and it's about a two-minute job. But on the whole, it's a very efficient process and and everything runs like clockwork. Hmm. And who are your...
1: So for me personally, I believe in this idea of like having mentors and having mentees. And I feel like these relationships are really important because from one perspective, you're getting a lot of valuable information that you can put in action, experiment and see what works and pass it on to your mentees, you know, like who who your mentors and do you have any mentees or what sort of like relationships you're doing on that perspective?
0: Yeah. So for me, I mean, I try and help people as much as I can if they reach out to me and I'll just be very honest and transparent with them. And so there's, there's people that I help a lot on a day to day basis. Like even for example, like casual dash, like you have questions about YouTube when he's first starting out and I was more than happy to, to help him as much as I possibly could. And I wouldn't say that's like a mentee relationship, but it's just me trying to help someone and yeah. and help them grow. And I think that's one of the most rewarding things about business is like, you can help people grow with the knowledge and expertise that you have because most people don't have those unique skills, right? And then with my team that I manage directly one-to-one, each of those people, I try and help as much as possible in terms of supporting them in their growth. Mm. And one of the best things about doing this is like, you can compare year on year Mm. where they were previously and you can show them directly the growth that they've achieved so for example if someone was getting like a 20 percent sales conversion rate and then today they're getting a 45 percent conversion rate then you know that growth is insane mm-hmm. like they've almost become a different person in a better way to achieve that level of of performance and so that's the way that i mentor people and then i've got a lot of people i would say who support me along the way like there's no way that i would have achieved anywhere near the, the level of reach that I've gotten now without these people and and there's just a ridiculous number of people more than I can ever name but uh, for example even people like Charles Float like years ago he gave me a free consultation on how to grow my brand and he just broke it down I think he spoke like almost nonstop for sixty minutes it was <laughs> he mouth.
1: has the ability he has the ability it's
0: crazy it's crazy yeah and and he was so articulate in the way that he explained everything but uh, that was before anyone knew me. That was before anyone recognized my name, or uh, it was before I even had a video that hit a thousand views. Yeah. And so, when I see that, I'm like, okay, everyone who comes to me, I'm just going to help them as much as possible. Going to give them all the no BS advice, and I'm I'm going to try and support them as much as I can. Yeah. I only have a limited amount of time, of course. But yeah.
1: Yeah, sure. And in the end, we all are human beings in it. Like we're just reflecting on each other's growth and human evolution because for me like seeing y'all talking to you having a meaningful connection with you and seeing you grow i reflect on it and i just you know get more enticed on my journey and just a nice reflection of what could be for me and i think that just adds up to the fulfillment level of what we do as seo seos and it's just combining that, you know, like values and ethics. Like, what, what are your top values and ethics? Like,
0: I think number number one will be continuous growth, just yeah. continuous improvement. Like, never being perfect, but but moving towards a better version of myself. Additionally, I really respect hard work and and grinding. I don't know whether that's just from years of growing up playing RPGs and grinding on PlayStation games or whatever, but I really love working hard and I respect anyone else who I see doing that because I think that really shows an effort additionally one of the things that actually so for me each year as a reflection I try and look at okay there are all these values and we've all got them in some way you know it might be a one out of ten or it might be a nine out of ten that we've got them right but we've all got different mixes of values sometimes we don't even realize it but for me, I try and design, okay, what are the biggest value opportunities would help me that would help me reach the next level of success. Right. So for example, last year, I remember, and this was super painful to take, but I had a coach who told me, Julian, you're not assertive enough. Like you don't carry yourself in the same way that someone at your level would be expected to. And that was so painful. It stunned for about 24 hours. And then after that, I was like, okay. Do you know what? I actually do need to become a lot more assertive. When I'm having conversations with people, I just need to speak my mind. And actually, I think that's where the, the openness and the transparency comes from, because I know that if I'm just honest and transparent about who I am and what I'm doing and what's working for me, then I can be assertive with people. I can call that bullshit, right? And so that was one of my biggest values for, for last year. And I think still for this year is, is just being honest. And if you see any BS with your team or... If people not performing in the right standard, call that out as soon as possible, in a nice way.
1: And and with the amount of following that you grow every month and stuff, I feel like there's a lot of people in your level that might be facing an imposter syndrome, you know? Like, it's very common, like, you get to a level, you believe, like, okay, this is my value, and then you get to another level, level, more levels, levels to levels, so how do you deal with that, like in terms of like valuing yourself and seeing that, okay, this is how much I've grown. Maybe this, this is how many subscribers I have. This is my net worth, whatever. Like how do you deal with those emotional, you don't have those emotions because
0: you navigate with some kind of mindset? So for me, I think if you're feeling imposter syndrome, it might be subconsciously because you feel like you don't have enough proof to back it up. And so one of the reasons... So I run so many experiments with SEO, for example, is so that I have a lot of conviction when I talk about SEO because I know I've tested it. And that comes back to the opinions over facts, philosophy we were talking about before. Additionally, I think you just have to accept that sometimes you are going to fail. You know, sometimes you're not going to perform at the level that you need to, but that's OK because it's just another opportunity to learn. Right. So, for example, when I was speaking at some events last year, I was like, oh, maybe I'm not qualified or yeah. I'm not the right person to be speaking at this event. Like, mm-hmm. there's a guy making a million dollars a month from SEO speaking here. Yeah. What am I doing? <laughs> and then, and then you're like, no, 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 no. Like, listen, you've been doing SEO experiments every single day for the last year. You've been building the SEO agency that's helped thousands of people. You're doing YouTube videos to get millions of views every year. You got all the facts to back it up. You're in the right place. But it does come down to having that that proof. I think if you've not done anything, you've not achieved anything, or you don't have much experience in what you're doing, let's say tomorrow I start launching an agency that sells Facebook ads as a service, I should feel like an imposter, and I probably shouldn't be speaking about it or speaking at events or anything like that because, yes, you are an imposter, and you haven't got any expertise to talk about that. So, So come back when you've tested it yourself. Mm. yeah
1: and coming to the deeper questions do you believe in legacy
0: i don't know i like Alex for i just was weeks. very like,
1: spontaneous i was like okay this is coming to my mind i <laughs> just ask it.
0: i think one of my goals last year was like to help millions of people help millions of entrepreneurs so that, them
1: you think it's the uh, impact based approach than having a legacy for you 100 i think
0: it's just more about like how many people can you help and can you make the better, the world a better place? I think, for me, I don't expect people to remember my name in 100 years. I don't think they're going to be watching these videos about chat GPT and AI yeah. SEO and all that sort of thing. But if I can make, if I can have a real impact today, that's enough. Like, for example, from one of the reasons that I work so hard, for example, is because I have this vision of being in a situation where my friends and my family never have to worry about money again. Right. And so far, for example, like my mom, she had another 10 years left at a job. She was a nurse at the NHS and, and didn't get treated particularly well. But I had the power from working so hard for so many years to say, listen, you don't need to work ever again. It's OK. You don't need to worry about money ever. Again. And and I can fix that for you. And so that's not so much a legacy, but it's about impact. right? It's about changing people's lives in a better way. and and raising people up and that's the same with youtube for example like if anyone messages me about youtube or they have a question that is in my circle and that i know then i'm going to give them no bs advice because i want to see them grow Mm. and and it's not so much about me anymore it's about making sure that i have a positive impact and that i leave the world a better place Mm. but do i expect people to to remember my legacy like alexander the great or something like that no (laughs) I don't think that's gonna
1: happen yeah yeah I also don't believe in this legacy thing I feel like we're very insignificant beings just doing what we can and the experience we can have and, and and the impact we can make and and that's it like we don't understand the full existence to why we're here and stuff like that and we can you know, think about it and find the wise to the wise to the wise, And there's no end point, right? To that kind of philosophy. So to what we perceive and how we kind of derive meaning and to what kind of feels good and does not feel good, but leads us to a growth. I think that kind of skill and that kind of wisdom is really important for us individuals, like especially SEO, because people are just so focused on just getting results. And making money that they don't think about these aspects, and I think we are on the luckier side because now we can introspect on these things because we have the money, we have the results, and now it's our journey on getting on the other side of the wagon wheel. And yeah, beautiful podcast, like some of some of the few podcasts I really enjoyed. To be honest, um, thanks. Man. Yeah, what, what, really enjoyed it too. Yes, very. Yeah. And yeah, we're probably gonna do round two, round two, round three. I'm planning one uh, like roundtable in Dubai and have all the people and we talk about everything for three four hours. You know, I think these kind of conversations for us as well. We can introspect so much and just give give to the people you know who kind of support our journey as well and just give them no BS advice like your words. You know, maybe you should make a shirt something like no BS. BS SEO or something. You know, like it could be a
0: tagline. So, I should change the name of my Facebook group, shouldn't I? It's an OBS SEO.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's, that sounds really unique and you, to be honest. Um, but yeah, what, what you're speaking on a lot of uh, conferences and stuff. What what can people expect you for the next six months? How they can reach out and what what projects are you bringing on? What kind of content are you focusing for the next six months?
0: Yeah, so I think we're going to be still deep diving into AI and SEO. Mm. It'd be interesting to see whether GPT-5 comes out this year. Yeah. Because that's going to be insane. That could break the internet. Mm. It's, it's terrifying how fast that is moving and, and how powerful it is. So deep diving more into AI. I'll be launching a couple of tools this year, a, lot, a couple of AI tools, which is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, so you're whole. getting into SaaS? Yeah, getting okay. into SaaS. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be Keeps Keep growing keep the YouTube channel. Just about to hit 70K subscribers, so if I can get to 100K this year, that would be yeah. mind-blowing, absolutely mind-blowing. And, yeah, speaking at a lot of events, so, for example, Dubai, doing the, the AI SEO conference there, and then in March, speaking in Poland, about about seven events lined up this year. Wow. So it's going to be a really busy year, but yeah. I'm so grateful for the opportunities I'm seeing. But we, uh, your level of following,
1: you can even – do your own conference or it doesn't excite excite you
0: like I don't know the one thing that put me off was Matt Diggity said like if you want to make money don't do a conference (laughs) and I'm like okay okay." because I've got another coach who coaches me every two weeks one-to-one and he's constantly on me about like okay you need to set up your own event you need to run your own conference but it's a massive amount of money isn't it you're looking at 100k 200k at yeah. least to run an event with no guaranteed ROI and it's like how do I justify the time and the effort and the energy and the resources required but mm. in an ideal world it'd be nice to do that one day
1: yeah I mean if I was you I'd just test it one time and just have conclusion to what the test came out to be for you it? like because it could be really really like something that you could enjoy you could do it every year because we need people like you who bring people together and gather no bullshit SEO content advice, you know, and, and yeah, I think your following would love that. Like, personally yeah,
0: saying. yeah, I think it'd be really good. I think a better way to do it. And I'm doing this with Jackie Chow in Vietnam in April for the SEO mastery summit, I think Ahrefs Saigon. Sponsoring. Saigon? Saigon Saigon, Saigon. Yeah, yeah, Saigon. Saigon, yeah. So we're doing a meetup there. It's going to be 30 people and that should be a really good test on a small scale running an event. Yeah. I think Ahrefs is sponsoring it, like I said, but yeah, it should be amazing. should be amazing to run that and, and see who shows up and what the gathering is like and then get a feel for running events from there.
1: Beautiful, beautiful. So where can people find you, Julian?
0: So you can find me at JulianGolden.com if you're interested in booking a free SEO strategy session, and I do have a free – I mean – Trying to think the best way to contact me, probably the Facebook group. The Facebook group, pretty much every post I answer myself. So personally. what's your Facebook group called? It's it's something very keyword optimized. <laughs> Let me find the, the name. It's growing fast actually. We're getting about hundred members a day every day every wow. day on the Facebook group, so it's good. It's called SEO Backlinks AI and Chat GPT.
1: Okay. So
0: it's very key, it's keyword stuff in like it's nineteen ninety-five, but it's <laughs> If you type that into Facebook, you'll see my name on the banner pop up. And yeah. It's an amazing community of people, like people posting high value stuff pretty much every single day.
1: And you don't have any groups on X, right?
0: No I didn't even know Twitter has groups.
1: Yeah, you can you can create Ah oh,
0: well there we go. That's branding twenty twenty four done. I know what I'm doing in Q2. Yeah.
1: All right. So they can reach out to you on and what what's your agency called? The link agency? Goldie Agency. GoldieAgency.com. All right. Sweet. Thanks. Thanks for,
0: thanks for coming on the pod, Julian. Awesome. Appreciate it, man. I think you're doing a great job because you actually it, you're, you're asking questions way outside the realm of SEO. And I think a lot of podcasts don't do that. It's super interesting yeah. to see how you do that, man. Like you ask great questions.
1: Thanks brother. I think for me, like I decided that I have to go do podcasts and stuff. I'd only enjoy it if I combine the life side of things. Cause for me, like I don't want to be talking about spam scores for two hours, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah. I know what you mean. I, yeah. Some of my interviews are a little bit intense. It's like no fluff, no banter. It's oh, just okay, like, right. Okay. Backlinks, spam score, trust, <laughs> flow. Tell me about five.
1: Back to back, back to back.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's too, too much.
1: Yeah. And yeah, that, i never got burned out from these podcasts to be honest like some of like the like the james dooley one was two hours and after that podcast i was like hi and i was like holy shit this has got guys some guys got some nuggets so i think yeah yeah i appreciate your comment man thanks
0: awesome man thanks